Hi, and welcome to No Crying in Baseball. It's episode 56, the detox episode. My name is Patty, and I have been marinating in baseball and beer and whiskey and potty mouth's exuberance, and I just need to sort of sleep it off and do some sort of purge and maybe the whole 30. I don't know what I'm going to do, but I'm pretty excited, but I'm not as excited as my friend Potty Mouth. I, I can't like keep, contain it anymore. I was just sort of sitting here bouncing and I'm feeling as bubbly as this champagne that I'm holding and I'm finally drinking it. I'm really glad because nobody ended up coming over last night. So it was me and Mr. Potty Mouth sitting there watching an amazing game that we're going to talk about. And of course, I called dad right where it when it ended and he was so happy. And I have called him after I can say this after every World Series that I have been alive for. And he's always there and feeling great. So hi, dad. It was great. Do you think your dad will send me a T-shirt? I know he always sends you guys, you know, championship T-shirts. I just want to slide that in there, make sure he has my size and everything. You, you know, I better call him back because he confirmed sizes when, it, when we were, I was talking to him last night. I bet he went out today, but I'll check to see if he's already gone out. Tell him your daughter's size is actually my size because, there's, you know, one of us is more apt to wear that. Oh, so yeah. true. The other thing that happened yesterday while the last game was winding up, I could tell that the socks were going to pull it out. So I went ahead and I finished the stress blanket. It's done. I didn't have to like leave anything for you know a game six or anything. Called it done, and I slept under it last night, and it wasn't stressy anymore. It's huge it's and huge. warm and snuggly. I didn't think it was a thing that could get done. I thought it was going to go on and on and on. But no, Red Sox and five, I hear, was the thing. Today, we're going to talk about our World Series boyfriends. We're going to talk about the managers, Cora and Roberts. We're going to talk about a couple of players, Machado and Kershaw. We're going to tell you about our highlights from the last three games of the series and give you two quick vocabulary lessons, runner's lane interference and hit and run, both of which were important in this World Series. But first, World Series boyfriends. Yay. I really hope I'm not too giggly today and not too volume crazy, but I can't believe this. When we started this last year during the World Series, I had no clue that at that time this year, which would be now, that we'd be talking about <laughs> the Red Sox, like how I do the space-time continuum thing. So myself, a year ago, would have been shocked to shit to know that right now we are talking about the Red Sox as the World Series champions. I could not be more excited. And I was thinking I would be talking about my baseball boyfriend from the Red Sox, Pookie, being a hero, but not exactly. I love Pookie. Mookie Betts was the heart and soul all season, not so much in the postseason. In the World Series, his average was 217 compared to his 346 leading batting average. And in games three and four, zero hits, which is crazy because game three was what, 18 innings and seven and a half hours. And I know we'll be talking about all that, but no hits there. Finally, in game five, just as I was sitting there and I said to Adam, I had just turned to him and said, you know, he has like just a couple more chances to get a home run and then boom, he got it. So maybe that counts as me calling it. I don't know. But I was really relieved to see that happen. You were magic like that a couple times during the series. So I'm impressed. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with your sort of baiting the players, even if you're just watching them from, from a distance. Sure. You know, I'm not sure if it was me or if it was Big Poppy, but I don't because I don't know if you caught the post game four press conference when Poppy was standing next to Pookie and he had his arm around him and Pookie looked so small compared to Big Poppy. He, he really is so small he next is. to Big Poppy. Yeah. He looked tiny. He looked like his son. And actually, A Rod started joking with him, saying, Poppy, what's this? You're hanging on to him like he's your kid. And of course, Poppy goes off, Yeah, he is. And he gave him a little bit of uh, encouragement. I think that was inspiration. 
my Red Sox boyfriend, Andrew Benatendi, was kind of the same thing. There were moments of heroics. We talked about that last week with the big catch and all. But he did fine. He actually did sort of like Mr. Reliable stuff. He didn't do extraordinary things except for that one catch. He went a totally respectable six for 18. He hit 333. They were mostly just sort of like keep the line going hits. I'm good with that. He scored six runs. But the big news for him this week is he was announced as a gold glove finalist. So that's pretty exciting. So even though he got benched for game three, he won a gold. He got nominated for a gold glove and he had pretty he had a pretty good, pretty good run in the World Series. But my favorite thing was looking at the Cincinnati news reports because he's like their favorite son now. Cincinnati boy makes good and wins his first World Series. It's kind of I'm going to say it. Adorable. Adorable. That's so cool. You know, Pookie got nominated for the Gold Glove. The whole Red Sox outfield got nominated for the Gold Glove, plus two more. Not bad. This team is amazing. I think one of the things I love about them is how they all had something to do with this. And we'll talk about this more, but every guy on that team was, had their whole heart in it, and they really looked like such a family. I I have feelings also still for my boyfriend from the Dodgers, and I was grappling with this. So every time Kike Hernandez came up to bat and you saw me, I would sort of whimper a little bit because I really wanted to cheer for him. He's such a good guy. He's such a good spirit. But I really didn't want him to hit against the Red Sox. And then I felt bad for him because his average sucked. It was like hovering around 100 throughout the postseason. So part of me was thinking, he must be miserable. He probably feels awful. He really wants to contribute. But no, not now. And then he came around and almost gave me a fucking heart attack at the end of game four, bottom of the ninth. Red Sox are ahead. I thought we had this. He, uh, Somebody was on base. So he hit a two-run home run on no outs, and it brought it up to nine to six. So getting two runs to bring it up that much with only three runs to go and no outs – I was on the edge of my seat, but luckily it got put away and didn't go anywhere. So yay for Kike because he got something out of it. And yay for me and the Red Sox because it didn't turn that tide. Well, Kike is in good company with a terrible World Series batting average. I mean, not just on the Dodgers, but a lot of the Red Sox ended up, the guys you expect to hit well, had pretty bad batting averages too, which was kind of surprising. And on the Dodgers, my boyfriend, Matt Kemp, went one for nine in the series. That one was a home run. And that was pretty exciting for him. But that was it, man. That was it. And he's got kind of an uncertain future with the Dodgers because he was sort of brought on as one of those like salary kind of trades to offload salary. And he's got one more year under contract. And it's not a sure thing that he's going to be back. Although, you know, in his interviews and all, he really sounded like he felt like he was part of the team. So I hope however it works out is good for him and works out in his favor, whatever that means. I didn't check out the time he played, but I remember him going in as pinch. So I'm wondering if that had something to do with it, too. There was just so much rotating going on in that Dodgers outfield because of uh, of Roberts and the way he was managing, which is the next thing we're going to talk about. I'd like to start with the good news or the the manager who I am just fascinated with at this point. Alex Cora has mesmerized me all season and absolutely continues to do so, my impulse buy the morning after the World <laughs> Series, I got up, I'm scrolling on my phone, and there was this post from the Criollos de Cagua, like his his Puerto Rican team of his town, had an In Cora We Trust t-shirt. So I ordered the t-shirt from Puerto Rico. 
That's And it's in English, so go figure. I would have thought it would have been really cool in Spanish. But I was so excited just to say, I am behind this guy. He did miracles. Everybody just sort of trusted in him, and he had high expectations, and the players lived up to him. And he maintained his sort of dry sense of humor throughout, including when he was making the announcements for who is going to pitch. Because after that crazy game three that lasted forever and burned out the entire bullpen. That was maybe not Cora's finest moment because he did pull Porcello pretty early and forced to go deep in the bullpen and everybody had to step up. Then everybody's wondering who's going to do game four. And of course, everybody volunteered for it and he wasn't announcing it. And there was one of those outside guys set up and behind him, he's walking to to get to the practice. It was early in the day, and they're broadcasting from the field. And he walks behind them. And one of the broadcasters turns back and says, hey, Alex, who's pitching? And he says, Rodriguez. And the guys, like, freak out. Like, oh, my God. He just, like, they didn't <laughs> expect him to actually tell him they were going to wait for the press conference or whatever. And that's how the world found out that Rodriguez was pitching that day. Similarly, after that, everybody kind of assumed that Sale was going to pitch game five, right? I, I think he might have even alluded to that at some point, not an official announcement. But yeah, I think he probably fed that assumption for a long time. I think it was that was the beginning plan, mm-hmm. but it was not updated at all. So everybody went with it without confirming it for Cora. So he goes through the whole game four, post-game, press conference, whatever. He's winding up. He goes to leave and sort of on his way out, he says, by the way, Price is pitching tomorrow. And like the press corps freaks out and they're like, wait, 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 come back and talk to us. Like, of course, they would have had a million questions. Why are you doing that? He was halfway out the door. I mean, he was really on his way out. So they said, why didn't you tell us? And he said, nobody asked me. <laughs> the thing that I loved about that press conference, though, and part of the the amazing Alex Cora, who he is, where he comes from. He was wearing a proud T-shirt. It said the the letters proud, all in capital letters, but the P and the R were the pattern of the Puerto Rican flag. And that has been part of him since day one, where he got the supplies to go to Puerto Rico and he brings it up. And every time he tweets after winning a game, he tweets the Puerto Rican flag. So that's there. It's totally there. So Dave Roberts is getting a lot of crap, and some of it is deserved and some of it is not. The worst crap is that his own fans, the the L.A. home stands, booed him before Game 5 because of something that actually ended up being some really freakish misunderstanding. We'll get to that in a second. He had a three-year contract with the Dodgers, which is up. Largely, people expect him to stay, but nothing's been done about that yet. There may be an extension. There may be a new negotiated deal. There may be something. But the fact is he's gotten them to the championships, to the postseason, all three years. So he's probably going to say, unless, you know, the, the the nitpicky, weird management stuff that's come up gets in the way of that. Yeah. And I, I heard today somebody sort of say, well, who are they going to get who's better? I right? mean, really? I don't know. Yeah, Cora's not moving. Yeah. And neither is Francona. So the biggest issue with Roberts was pulling Rich Hill in game four, and everybody thought that's too early. Now, the background is Hill talked to him prior to that and said, keep an eye on me. And what he meant by that was really, you know, I'll do whatever you want me to do. If you think things are going downhill, you pull me. Don't worry about me. Just you keep an eye on me. You pull me when you're going to pull me. So Hill is on the mound. And he's looking the other way. And then he sees the infielders coming in. And, oh, my God. So, so Roberts is coming. He just assumed 
Roberts was going to pull him out of the game because almost always when the manager comes out, that's what's going to happen. Usually if it's not that, then the pitching coach comes out. It was Roberts. Roberts says, I just wanted to talk to him to see if he was if he could think about he could get the next guy. And Hill is like, I was just trying to be selfless and saying, you know, I'm not going to argue about this. So Roberts comes out and Hill hands him the ball and starts walking away. And Roberts hadn't even signaled to the bullpen or anything. He was not prepared to take him out yet. And so there's all this stuff like, oh, you know, Rich Hill was tired and he said he was tired. And both of them now say, nope, that that was never part of the conversation. So it was this weird, crazy misunderstanding that is now, I mean, the president thinks that, you know, Roberts is a jerk because of this. And my question about that is, why are you paying? Why are you tweeting about baseball right now? There's some other things that are going on that are crucial. I mean, we think baseball is crucial, but we're not in charge of the free world. Yeah, I'm going to take a little bit of devil's advocate on that. I mean, I know that that's what they're saying. But from the get go, we were all looking at Hill going, he looks exhausted from the beginning. Even the kids were saying, look at those bags under his eyes. He looks exhausted. Kind of reminds me of the, the preschooler who says, no, I don't want to take a nap. I'm not tired. And then boom. So I think there was some truth behind that argument. I think that and he 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 had given up a walk. He was looking like he was starting to maybe slip. And then, of course, you know, that that famous tweet from Trump challenging it. My question on that is, number one, why is Trump a Dodgers fan? That makes no sense. If anything, he should be a Yankees fan, which would totally make sense for many reasons. <laughs> for many reasons. But I'm thinking maybe it's anti-Cora. Because remember when Cora said something very politely about Trump's tweet challenging the number of deaths in Puerto Rico, I'm wondering if he was feeling frustration because he doesn't want to deal with another fiasco of a team that maybe doesn't want to go to the White House for some good reasons. I don't think he thinks that hard. That's true. About right. anything. I think he was like, oh, I, I don't like what's happening. So I'm going to tell the world that everybody else is wrong and they should listen to me. I mean, all those things are legitimate for someone who's a thinker. You've got a really good point there. Yeah. You know, Roberts did stuff that he could have been criticized for worse. I mean, I think this whole thing with with Hill, yeah, who knows which way it went. Hill had been in there for a long time. But what about having Bias and Urias as unavailable during game four? Because they had pitched hard the day before. But this is the World Series. So a lot of people are sort of saying, well, what do you mean unavailable? Nobody on the Red Sox was ever unavailable. Everybody was on call. Price kept raising his hand, bring me in again. Uh, Joe Kelly was ready to pitch his arm off. So I'm not sure that Roberts was really managing with a World Series, every game counts mentality. I don't know. That could very well be true. And I'm going to stop second guessing because I don't know what's in his head. And he got him to the postseason three times. So I still think he's a hell of a manager. He had to manage Machado. He had to manage Machado. Machado cannot be managed. Machado can't be managed. And I'm really curious where he's going to go next year. And I really don't want this podcast to turn into a Machado watch. I'm a little nervous about that because that's where the vibe is right now. We've been distracted from our Jeter hate, though. You got a point. Right. Okay. At least we know in our first assignment. I think we have to go back that way and see what's up in Miami. Machado's still screwing around. He was I didn't even realize that he was accused of stealing signs or or giving uh, giving away signs. So he was he was on second base and so stealing price, signs. Stealing yeah. Si yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So he was stealing. He was watching price pitching and telling the batter who was first Puig and then Hernandez, apparently what pitches were coming. I'm okay with that. Everybody does that. Yeah. And and actually, that shows some intelligence for Machado. So he's got a little bit. He's winning me over just a teeny bit there. But you don't step on people's feet. And he did that again. Yeah, he went after Pierce. Everyone thinks he went after Pierce. But, you know, we're we're all like we're prepared to see that. We're looking for that now. It's like, hey, hey, look at that. And then it went away. Yeah. I mean, if it's if it's not a problem, why doesn't anybody else do it? Because then I heard, right, right. I mean, and then he didn't run out that that one hit that ended up being just a single because he thought it was a home run. So he was just hot dog. And it was like, oh, crap. No, that's still in the ballpark. Oh, I better run faster. And yeah, so he's just not playing all that hard. That's the mark that's going to make it harder for him to find a home. Because I heard actually that for the Yankees, that that's a definite no, no, they do not like to see that. So maybe he's going to end up elsewhere. I would have personally been fine with the Yankees. I just have to say, though, that karma is a bitch because the last strikeout, the last out, which was a strikeout of the World Series, was him going down on his knee and goodbye, Machado. It was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing. Another Dodger that I don't hate, I well, I resent, but I'm feeling better about because he's not scary anymore, is Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw has three days. When you hear this, he'll have two more days to decide on his opt out option on his contract. He can opt out of the last two years of his contract and enter the free agency pool. So his whole thing was everyone's wondering, is this going to be the last time we see him start at Dodger Stadium in a Dodgers uniform or not? And unfortunately for him, it wasn't what we usually see in Dodger Stadium. It wasn't the the Kershaw that w- that it was just a shutdown Pitcher, it was what we saw when he was at Fenway more than that. So I'm not sure what's better for him if he should just stay where he is and try to build back up or say, well, except for the postseason, I was freaking awesome. So bid on me and give me a lot of money. That's going to be the immediate big news because he has to decide that quickly. I feel bad for him as a person. I heard him. I heard his voice saying these things and he sounded really torn up. I really think he's having a hard time losing two years in a row. It's it's and this is his his place. It really has been his place. The, He's been there for a dozen years. The announcers that I was listening to today said that if he were going to go somewhere else, he maybe would go home to Texas and go to the Rangers. I don't know. Rangers could use him. Back to the games. We don't have to relive every moment because we would be here all night because game three was historic. The longest World Series game ever. One of the top postseason games. I fell asleep at 2.15. I fell asleep partway through the 16th. We, I only know one person who watched the whole thing. And who is that person? My dad, my 86-year-old father. You know what I figured out, though? What's it's that? like depression mentality, like uh, depression with a big D, like the Great Depression. Yeah. Because he's 86. 72 of his 86 years were cursed. The Red Sox could <laughs> not win. <laughs> so for him, it's sort of like you have to take advantage of every opportunity because you don't know when it's going to come back again. It's sort of like, you know, people who grew up in the Depression are going to be really frugal with their money because they don't know when it's going to hit again. That's my dad with the Red Sox. Fair enough. Fair enough. Boy, if we were there, my first thought would be, you know, they close the beer down at the end, you know, in the eighth inning and they start putting away the food. And what did they do in Dodger Stadium? They reopened. So they had a second, seventh inning stretch. Essentially, they played two full games, right? It was 18 innings. So they played two full games. 
They had a second seventh inning stretch in the 14th, and they opened very limited amount of concessions. I'm guessing people must have been getting a little bit grumpy, to say the because least. Because they were sobering up during those later innings? Yeah, you'd think that they would open up the beer again. No, But no, no, no. they're trying to sober people up. So they gave them coffee, nachos, and ice cream. Really, what, what more do you need to those get through? Those are pretty much the food groups. So Mr. Potty Mouth had a really good algorithm for how to deal with these extra innings. I'm going to use it in the future. We totally fucked it up, though. What he said is we should have gone to sleep right after the Red Sox took the lead in the 13th, because at that point they were winning, which was the possibility of happening. And we would go to bed and sleep well, thinking our team had won. The other possibility that we could have seen at that point, which is what we did see, was them lose. So If they had won at the top of the 13th or got it back again at the top of the 18th or 21st, doesn't really matter for your sleeping soundly. So yeah, when your team is at the top, go to sleep after they're up and take the lead. That's my words of advice. I'm going to use that one in the future. I want to talk about two pitchers very briefly who were, one of them was sung a little more than the other one as far as their heroics. So Evaldi came in in relief. And pitched for six innings and ended up not winning the game. But it was so heroic that everyone has rallied around him. You know, he gave up starting the next day because he pitched. He just kept going. They had no more pitchers. So he had to keep going. And he did keep going. And it was amazing. He pitched longer than the starter. Yes, he did. And on the Dodgers side, um, Walker Bueller started game three. And he was phenomenal. Bueller? Bueller? Bueller was phenomenal. He through 108 pitches, his last pitch was faster than his first pitch. His 108th pitch was faster than his number one pitch. And he pitched seven scoreless innings. And if the game had ended in nine, he would be the freaking hero of the night. But it just kept going. And so take a second and say, wow, Bueller is amazing because I don't want that to get lost in all of the other stuff that was going on. But every time I say that, I also say it again because I'm a child of the 80s and we were cracking each other up that whole night. We were cracking you up. (laughs) I I am so amused by his name. It's not even funny because you just can't say it once. You have to say it multiple times. It's a child of the 80s rule. Let's go to game four. El Jefe does not approve. We had a party on game four. El Jefe. El Jefe had a party on game four. And Mrs. El Jefe. La Jefe. Los dos had a party on game four. And it's been about five years since I effectively ruined their last party because it was the 2013 Red Sox appearance in the World Series. And this time they were ready for us and they had the party start early. So we got to hang out and then they had the game all set. And La Jefe is actually a Dodgers fan. So it started out kind of interesting. But it's the Dodgers. So you lost interest immediately. (laughs) (laughs) All of a sudden, I got confused saying, wait, was that the long game? No, it wasn't. It just seemed long because the Dodgers were ahead for so much of it. So that's what got me confused. So actually, that was kind of a good party host kind of thing. While we were here, the Dodgers were ahead. La Jefe was happy. Everybody was hanging out. I still had a little bit of faith because, you know, the Red Sox were still up. Although that idea of tying up the series would have swung things like crazy. And it wasn't just me who was starting to get a little tense about that. Chris Sale, who I think looks like kind of a mild-mannered guy, even though we did talk about him taking knives to shirts, so maybe I should have expected this. 
he freaked out. He just, I mean, there's no other word for it. He just went ballistic in the dugout in the seventh inning and he starts screaming. And of course, we're watching this on TV, so we couldn't actually hear the words that were coming out of his mouth. And people were walking around him like he was like a ranting, crazy homeless guy on the street. Like they were not looking at him. I saw both Pookie and Benny just walk by, sipping their water like, oh boy. And and Devers said he was actually scared by him. Whatever he said, it worked because they were down four to nothing and they pulled right back up. So the the power of Chris Sale, I don't know. Cora's, Cora's statement on that was pretty funny because somebody asked him, what did he say? And Cora said, well, you know, my English isn't that good. <laughs> so I actually saw the interview with, with Devers when they asked him, did you understand what he was saying or did you have it translated or, you know, how, how did that go for you? And, you know, that's when he said, I was actually a little scared because I'd never heard Sale use those words. And someone said, what words? And he said, I can't say them. And I thought, I love him. (laughs) I love him. I might have to teach him a few things. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Let let, let him be innocent for a little while longer. You can buy him some Chipotle and leave it at that. Futurama. So the other thing that happened while we were enjoying the party at at La Jefe's house was this play happened and we all went, hey, that can't be right. He's got to be out. So here's your vocabulary lesson about runner's lane interference. This is game four. The bases are loaded. The Dodgers are at bat. Cody Bellinger hits the ball towards first base to Pierce, who's who's on first base. Bases are loaded, so Pierce is going for the first out at home, right, to cut off the run. Throws to Vasquez, gets the out. Vasquez throws back to Pierce, but he almost hits Bellinger because Bellinger is running inside the baseline. And we said, hey, hey, we're all waving our arms saying, hey, that's not all right. Now, if you look at a baseball diamond along the first base line, the second half of the line closest to first base, there's another line that goes parallel to the first line. It's about three feet out. That's the runner's lane. That is where the person running to first base is supposed to be to allow balls to be fielded to first base. Bellinger was not in that lane. However, this is not a reviewable play. It's what's called a judgment call on the part of the umpires. And what the umpire decides is if it's interference, it's only interference if he feels like the person catching the ball would not have a chance because of what the runner did. It's not about where, you know, where in this case, where Vasquez was throwing from. It would be it was where Pierce was. If, and he just said, nope, he wouldn't have caught it. It's not interference. I saw some sort of after some conversation later about that. And they said, well, you know, Vasquez should have taken two steps out and thrown from a better angle. But he had to throw fast. Yeah. So how's he going to do that? The so, time on that. So every replay we've seen, Bellinger was in the wrong place. But because it's a judgment call, it didn't get called. And he was safe at first instead of instead of it being a double play. That could have been a game changer. As it turned out, was not a game changer, but it was OK. But that's your first vocabulary lesson. And I just want to add, that means that the umpires were not biased in favor of the Red Sox. Calls went both ways. We argued with the umpires various times, but I think it was pretty fairly spread out is what I would say. I'm going to give you one more quick vocabulary lesson. It's the hit and run strategy. This does not involve leaving the scene of an accident. All right. This is sort of a combination of not quite stealing a base, but trying to avoid a double play. All right. You've got a guy on first who's pretty fast. It only works if the guy on first is pretty fast. When your coach, when your manager calls a hit and run play, that means the batter is going to swing at whatever the pitch is. Doesn't matter how outside the strikes on the pitches, 
the batter is going to swing. And that is going to give the guy on first more of a jump, more of a head start to get to second base. This works a little bit like a bunt to advance the runner because since you don't know what the pitch is going to be, very likely the batter is going to get out, right? Because he's going to get terrible contact. He's going to hit it in the wrong place. If it works the best way, because the runner is already going, the guy covering second is on second, and that leaves holes on either side of second base that the batter can hit the ball through. So sometimes it's phenomenal. But the important thing was at least three times Cora called hit and run, which is still kind of rare, and that beat out double plays. The guy first might get thrown out, but but the guy who was going from first to second is going to be safe because he had such a head start. Is that that first play where, where Mookie stole, essentially stole the base, where Benintendi swung, even though he probably wouldn't have swung, and he ended up getting a huge lead on it. That might have been it. Sometimes the batter is just swinging. Sometimes it's, it's actually a call. The, the coach will say, this is a hit and run swing no matter what. So I don't know if Benny had the go ahead, like you've got to swing or do your, do whatever you need to do. But yep, but that, that gets around a lot of, it tries to get you one run. It gets the runner into scoring position. You're probably going to lose the batter, so you're probably not going to get that second run. But it's trying to guarantee you somebody in scoring position. And this goes all the way back to the beginning of our podcast when we started talking about the importance of small ball yep. and Cora picking this up maybe from his days in Puerto Rico that we talked about a long time ago. I love me some small ball. So exciting. How about that game five? That How was pretty about exciting. That game five. Oh my God, I'm going to blow out the levels. I called it. I can't fucking believe that I called it. I wasn't the only one, though. Big Poppy and I. Both called Red Sox in five. I had almost given up in four when we were here at the Halloween party and things were looking dire. I thought, well, maybe it's going to go to six. But it happened in five. And I figured out a great way to watch. And it did, unfortunately, not until the last two nights. But you know the whole Buck Smoltz thing that just kind of makes your stomach churn? These would be the the commentators that really a lot a lot of people don't like, and I'm I am some of those people. <laughs> yeah, I'm some of those people too. But I saw on Twitter someone who said, "Why not on on MLB.com if you have it, stream the audio from the Boston station and watch oh. the video?" And at first we tried it and it wasn't synced, but I thought, "Eh, close enough." And then she posted, and this is Brittany de, de la Crea, Creta, that if you pause it. You can sync it. Like you just have to hang on and pause your audio and watch the video. And of course, I made Mr. Potty Mouth do this because because he's the eye geek. Took a while, and he's the geek. But it worked, and I got to listen to from my childhood. This guy's been on Weei forever. Joe Castiglione calling it, and isn't he the one who fell out of his chair? He he did, and that was when the Astro with, with the Astros series, right, yeah, when yeah. the Red Sox went against the Astros, and he's calling in the ninth inning, and he literally fell out of his seat. <laughs> so they were joking for this one that they got him a seatbelt. Nice, yeah. And game five, what can I say? I mean, Price, who would have thought? Price was amazing. He's actually kind of my MVP of the series. I mean, Pierce was great, but I, I kind of vote for Price. Part of it is I, I feel for him. Right. So part of it is that not just he was extraordinary, but from where he came from to be extraordinary. But oh, my God. Yeah. A lot of people said that it should have been split. I mean, out of nowhere, this guy comes into the playoffs zero for nine. Everybody talking doomsday. And he lasted the longest out of all the pitchers over seven innings in game five. And he was so on the MVP who was called MVP. Also deserving, Pierce, the first baseman, who we got midseason from Toronto. Turns out he's played all over the AL East. He's played in all of the teams in the AL East, so he knows that division really well, and it served him well. 
he's a free agent now and he's talking about wanting to stay on the Red Sox. He was a Red Sox fan growing up yeah, as a he kid. Was. Yep. So I think that's a little special. I think they got to hang on to this guy. Other free agents include Joe Kelly. I can't imagine him going anywhere else. You know, I was so, ew, I don't like you, Joe Kelly, when the whole Fight Club mm-hmm. thing. Because this, you know, it, it offends my my very ladylike sort of proclivities. But, man, I'm all behind him now from how I saw him in the postseason. Wow. Yeah. Yep. Talk about a team player. Yep. He was willing to do anything for the team. And same with Evaldi. He's a free agent, too. And he was out there like, like crazy. Zero complaints. And Craig Kimbrell, who pulled it together after that crazy tipping pitches thing. Another free agent. So I think these guys are going to want to stay. That's that's sort of the heart in me. The The other heart in me is watching Cora win as a rookie manager, as a rookie Puerto Rican manager. You listeners can't see this, but I think Potty Mouth might be tearing up just I, a little bit. It's very sweet. I am. I am I love so that. touched. And he's so cool and so calm and so together. And watching him during the, the post-game thing after game five – and the trophy comes out and he turns to John Henry, the, the owner of the Red Sox, and says, I want to bring this to Puerto Rico. And I, I like I'm crying now. I wanted to cry. And then he upped it. So after that, he turned back to them and said, and I want to bring the whole team with me. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. Screw the White House. We're going to Puerto Rico. Going oh, going I hope Puerto that's Rico. how that turns out. Oh, boy. His language is always interesting to me because often in the postseason, he's talked about my country. And as we all know, Puerto Rico is basically a colony of the United States. During at that postgame ceremony of the World Series, he purposely said island a couple of times. And I'm wondering, did someone coach him on that? He said my island. But then afterwards, when he was talking about bringing the whole team with him, he said to celebrate with my countrymen. He wants this team to be part of where he came from, where his baseball is from. I just I think it's beautiful. There's so much beautiful about what happened in this team. They're special. Sale pitched the ninth inning. Can I say I called that? I just wish I had called that out loud. I bet you did too. I bet you knew that was you coming. Know, Mr. Potty Mouth called it. Yeah. He did. And I actually he and I was were on the same wavelength a, a lot about that about that last game. Yep. He totally called it from the start. And I should have called it because Sale started the year. So he got the first out of the year and he got the The last out of the year. I mean, the the whole year. The whole year. Oh, So he did the year and the series. Cool. Bookends. Poetic. That was pretty darn awesome. What a series. What a postseason. Thank you all for sticking with us. I got to say, we're going to go ahead and take next week off. Because we've got to finish that detox. We've got to get our, you know, we've got to rest. We've got to recharge our batteries. When we come back after we skip that week, we're going to jump right in with hot stove and free agency and all of those things that happen when everyone thinks it's the off season. A lot is going on. What are you going to do? I'm going to sleep. I'm exhausted. (laughs) This weekend totally wiped me out and going into Monday like this was rough. But I already posted the spring training countdown on our Facebook page. (laughs) I did. So get ready. You're going to be hearing a lot of that. Well, pitchers and catchers report. It's Mm -hmm. going to feel like tomorrow. God, it's going to be a long winter. Bear with us in our week off. That gives you plenty of time to go back and listen to old episodes. If you're new to the show, tell your friends. Get them to come play with us, too. Please subscribe. Leave us a review if you can. And until then, say good night, Potty Mouth. Good night, Potty Mouth. Very happy about the World Series. 